Previously on Film Code, torn between two different movies, Nathan makes the wrong choice. <laughs> I mean, if you get like a half a point, at least you thought of it, you know, that was great. No, I, I watched it. I didn't even just think about it. I watched this film. Wow. I just, I was taught, I was jostling back and forth. Um, I don't know, like, ah, fuck, I had it. I had it. <laughs> now, once again, no one has cracked the film code. This week, Jeremy's turn. My film code word was rank, R-A-N-K. It's a comedy. My date range was 95 to 2000. And it has a Ghostbuster in it. Will anyone guess the correct film code this time? Plus, we get the complete best films of the decade. And we find out how they feel about 2019's Uncut Gems. All that and more on this episode of Film Code. Clowden, and I'm joined today with uh, two of our three co-hosts. Uh, we have first and foremost, uh, Mr. Nathan Pig. Nathan, what's up? What's going on, man? How's everyone doing? Thanks for hopping on and being with us today. We'll appreciate it. If you haven't already, check out our first three episodes. If you have, you're the best. Thank you so much for being here again. Got a lot of content for you guys over these first four episodes, so I'm sure there's something in here you're like, just in case you're not bought in yet. But if you're here on episode four, I would hope you've been bought in. But um, you can find me over on Letterbox at Nathan Pig. That's N-A-T-H-A-N-P-I-G-G. Feel free to interact with me on anything I watch. I love talking about different opinions with everyone. And then make sure you follow us over on Twitter at FilmCodePod. We really try to push interactive content with you guys. We drop tweets all the time about what your thoughts on movies were, try to get your opinions. And that's also a really good way to make it on the show. We could potentially shout you out, ask a question that you asked us. Very interactive over there on Twitter, Film Code Pod. So give us a follow and interact. And also joining us today, uh, since he missed out on our last episode, give it up for Jeremy Zink. What's going on, Jeremy? How y'all doing, guys? Yeah, sorry, I had a little uh, issue last week. I apologize for that. Um, thank you for joining us. Again, like Nathan said, we hope you're enjoying the podcast. Follow us on all the platforms, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, right? Soon to be Instagram. Instagram. Soon to be Instagram. Um, also hitting the market on YouTube, so... Be sure to check us out. Anything you guys want to know, ask. By all means, ask it away. We're here. Yeah. We're here for you guys. We are on YouTube now. Um, those are going to be shorter, more visually appealing clips. Where if you want the longer version, just you know, keep clicking on these podcasts. That'll be the full version of our episodes. But for shorter, 
more controlled segments, those are going to be over on YouTube. And you can also see our smiling faces there as well. <laughs> All right. So uh, we want to get right into it. So our movie that we're <clears throat> uh, reviewing this week uh, came out in theaters last year. It was a very, very popular film. It, 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 I would say it still got some mixed reviews, uh, but it just recently dropped on Netflix. So we've each had a chance to see it. Uh, that, of course, the movie I'm talking about is Uncut Gems starring Adam Sandler, uh, Lakeith Stanfield, Adina Menzel, and Kevin Garnett, who was also in this movie. So, uh, And The Weeknd. And, the, and unfortunately, the weekend, yes. Uh, and all right, uh, Nathan, you actually picked this movie. So why don't you kick us off? What exactly made you pick this movie and why? what did you like about it or did you like it? Sure. So the reason why I thought it was appropriate to talk about this movie now is because for these reviews that we kick off every episode with, we want to talk about the most popular movie going on right now the thing that everyone's talking about and unfortunately with theaters shut down um not a whole lot of big releases on netflix there's not really a big movie we can talk about um so a couple weeks ago we talked about justice league with the news of the snyder cut and then i thought it'd be appropriate this week to talk about uncut gems since there's no big release and it just popped up on netflix about a week ago it's been super popular since it hit netflix whether it's for that audience that is rewatching it after they saw it in theaters or it's for the people that didn't get to check it out and are doing that now. So I think there's a wide variety of you that have watched uncut gems. And I thought it'd be more appropriate to talk about that than say some random prime video movie that only seven people saw. Um, as far as my thoughts on the film, I saw this, this was actually, I believe the last movie of the decade that I saw, saw it on uh, new year's Eve day with my family. And um, I let me make it known that I'm not an Adam Sandler fan. I think that, you know, he makes bad comedies. I think that's just, that's just true. I'm not going to go down the Ryan Reynolds rabbit hole. I'm not. But I was, excited, well. I was excited to check this out. You know, Nick's not here right now, but I will speak for Nick. He saw this before me, and he absolutely loved this film. Um, he loved everything about it. So I was really excited to go in and check it out. What I'll say is it didn't necessarily blow me away like it did some other people. Um, I don't think it's bad. I'm not saying that at all because it's not a bad film. But I did not have that anxiety attack. People are like, oh, I was on the edge of my seat the entire movie. That wasn't me. Like there were definitely parts I did not enjoy. There are definitely problems that I see in the film. But at the end of the day, it's still a good film. Um, I enjoyed it. I wasn't rushing back out to rewatch it or anything like that, but it's a good film. Nothing more in my mind. And I have some more thoughts on that, but I, I want to kick it over to you guys uh, before I just completely go down the rabbit hole. So Jeremy, what do you think? Nathan, one day we're going to agree on something. I promise it may not be today, <laughs> but there will come a time when we will finally unite our thoughts together. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> All right. Well, my piece of it was um, I didn't know much about this going in um, other than just the title. So I went in with a very open mind. Um, Adam Sandler, I mean, we all know him on comedy-based movies and his comedy references. I mean, the piece of shit car is still one of my favorite songs. Um, 
But this movie really spoke to his versatility because this is a role that we don't usually see Adam Sandler in too often. Um, and it left a lot to be desired. Uh, I feel like he played the role very well. Um, I kind of related to the character he played where like everything just went wrong in my man's life. Like anything <laughs> that can go wrong will go wrong. And I'm like, bro, I'm with you. Like it sucks. I feel you. Um, a couple things I will say about the film that I really stood out to me was how it was filmed. It was almost shot as in some parts, like a documentary kind of way. And I kind of dug that. Um, it was uh, unique. Um, wasn't how your normal shooting would go. Also the intro outro of it, um, beginning and ending was very inner, inner space kind of, you know, shot. And I, I dug the shit out of that. Granted the, the intro is kind of weird cause we all figured out what the hell we were looking at. <laughs> But um, yeah, all in all, it was, it, it was a decent movie. It wasn't the best movie in the world. Um, but I mean, Adam Sandler did play it very well. Uh, the ending was a shocker. <laughs> it only spoke to my man's bad day. I mean, fuck. I mean, <laughs> like, what can go wrong will go wrong. It should, they should have named, they should have named the movie Murphy's Law. Like, oh, man. real shit. They should have just named it Murphy's Law. But uh, <laughs> it was it was an okay movie. So I I do agree with Nathan on some parts, but Adam Sandler's a good actor, man. Leave him alone. <laughs> okay. Uh, I want to say I thoroughly enjoyed Uncut Gems, like thoroughly. Uh, and because I think the reason that I liked it, and I think the reason that it does have sort of like mixed reactions is because I don't think I've ever seen a movie like it. Like, you mentioned that the documentary style shoot, like, shots. I hadn't even thought of that. But, like, yeah, that was, that was, that was actually really smart. Like, because it, it had these elements that were like, oh, no, like, you're, you're really in it. And then it, is, it, it felt like the camera pulled back in a lot of, in a lot of places. Then you were following you feel like, Right, to make you feel like you were just watching someone do it, right. which I felt was really, really really smart because it's like I don't know which one creates more anxiety is it is it you know watching someone go through it or feeling like you're in it and uh that that to me was a like just a really genuine uh really cool thing that they did uh a lot of people complain about uh the sound mixing in this movie because in so many scenes you have people talking over each other and yelling and, and all of that stuff and I actually found it rather enjoyable like like because it was so unique I didn't think I don't think I've ever seen that in another film where like you always make space for people to, to, to talk but in this one it was just like no like you're gonna be saying this stuff while he's saying this stuff and like the only scene where it stood out to me where I was like oh my god they're actually doing that was in uh when Lakeith Stanfield is looking for, like, he's taking all of his stuff out of the office, like, he's quitting or whatever, and Adam Sandler's on the phone with his, like, colonoscopist or whatever, like... Hey, go ahead, hi! Hi, doctor, what's going on? Shit! Where's the goddamn papers, man? Please be quiet. Is everything okay? Where's the fucking papers, Al? Bitch ass. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Howard, I'm. What do I got? Fuck this shit. And. So we're good. You're all good. 
because I watch a lot of movies where there's you always expect a happy ending you know what I'm saying you see this guy going down this road you're like at some point he's gonna turn it around yes it's gonna yes he's gonna get it and then when he finally gets it boom what the fuck <laughs> like I was just like it was a happy you know ending for one female yeah I was like yeah other <laughs> than that I was like you know what 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 the fuck so I guess for me I feel like if you didn't like it, it's probably because it, like, you know, it rose all this tension in you, and then it ends on this, like, what the fuck kind of moment. <laughs> like, it's just like, what, what, what was the point of all that? Like, it just took me through all that for that kind of an ending. Yeah, but, like, personally, I dug it. I thought the, the direction and the sound mixing uh, really made that film. And Adam Sandler's performance was fantastic. So, so that's, that's I'm going to be in the minority on this one, not not just on this podcast, but in general, because um, I'm going to have some people coming for my throat with this one. I'm sorry in advance. I don't. I don't think that Sandler's performance in this was anything special. I don't. Can I ask uh, why? Yes. I, hold on. Hold on, I do think it was, it's definitely not, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't have awarded him over, you know, I wouldn't have, like, there was a lot of people who were like, he deserves an Oscar. I was like, eh, I don't know about that. He, I was like, yeah, I was th- like, okay, thank but, you. I, I don't, I did, I did think it was, it was one of the, his better performances. That, I don't that, think he should have been nominated over any of the people that did get nominated. Like, people are like, it's a crime that he wasn't there. Like, no, it, it, it wasn't. No. Maybe, maybe, I don't, I don't remember if Jonathan, <coughs> I don't remember if Jonathan Price got nominated for Two Popes. I don't think that, I don't think that was that strong of a performance in the lead. Maybe you could throw Sandler in over him, but not over Driver, not over DiCaprio, not over Phoenix. Uh, I forget who the other one was, but um, not over any of those guys. Like, did, maybe it was um, – I just don't remember, unfortunately. But regardless, um, 
Yeah, it was one of his better performances considering he stepped outside the – it's killing you, Phoenix, that you're yeah, thinking about. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to figure it out. Give me one second. I know it was, <laughs> it, it was Christian Bale for Ford v. Ferrari at the uh, Golden Globes, but it wasn't him at the Oscars. Um, it wasn't Ben Affleck either. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> so g- going back to my point, though, like, yeah, Adam Sandler stepped outside his normal trash Netflix comedies and actually did something relevant. Damn. Actually stepped outside and did something relevant. So good for him. But look, and Phoenix, I know you've heard me say this before in, on Twitter. Um, there's nothing special about screaming at the, at the camera. There's nothing special about that. I can do that. You can do that. Like, for someone to go around the entire runtime and go, you're fucking me, KG. You're fucking me. What are you doing? Give me my money, KG. What are you doing? Give me my money, KG. You're fucking me, KG. Give me the rock. Like, I just did it right there. Like, sure. I mean, that do- it doesn't take any talent to do that. And that's the entire film. Like, that's him. He's loud. He's obnoxious. He's But annoying. his character was an angry Jew who owned a fucking <laughs> and, diamond. And place. that's fine. But I could name you countless actors who could do the exact same thing. Like For that reason, you're saying you don't like Joe Pesci because he's he yells at the camera all day long, too. But that's uh, not... Joe Pesci has a little bit more range than that. Like, well, I'm like, not I saying Sandler has that range, but I'm just saying. <laughs> no, I mean, no. I mean, there's nothing special. Like, sure, it was a good performance. I'm not saying it was bad. But it didn't take anything special. I could see countless other people doing this. And I just, I, I shake my head at everyone who's like, oh my God, what a great performance by Sandler. Yeah, you know why it's a great performance? You know why people think that? Because he's in every single scene of this movie outside of that opening scene where they like find the, the gem or rock or whatever. Like he's in every single scene. And to me, when you have an actor or an actress or whoever your lead person is in every single one of your scenes, that just means the writing is not well-rounded at all because you're like, do we, can we focus our story enough on supporting characters? No, we can't. Okay. I guess we got to have the main character. And, and I know that the girlfriend or whomever like takes the bag of money at the end. Sure. Those are the only two scenes that scene and the beginning where they find the rock Adam Sandler's in every single other scene. And to me that the, the story's not structured enough. You found it. Yes. I just remembered who it was. It was Antonio Banderas in pain and glory. Oh yeah. Yes. He, he totally could have been I, like me personally, I would have put Eddie Murphy in before any of them, but oh, yeah. God. Yeah. I'm like, but, yeah, it was Antonio Banderas and Jonathan Price to me who were the lesser of the nominees. And if you had replaced them with Eddie and Adam, wouldn't have been that upset. So that's yeah, that's that's my thoughts. Like, I, I, the material for the character of Howard wasn't like tough material whatsoever. So I could have seen anyone doing it. And just being able to scream your fucking me, KG, like 75 times in the movie doesn't take any talent whatsoever. So I just, I don't understand. And if I'm stepping on everyone's toes, please don't stop listening. This is just my bad opinion. Um, Adam Sandler's going to put a flaming dog of poo in your front lawn. He's got bigger problems than me, if that's the case. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't entirely disagree, but I, I would ask, like, 
did you see either uh, Punch Drunk Love or the Meyerowitz stories, either one of those movies? No, they're both on my watch list, though. Okay. Yeah, so, like, it, like I feel like if you've seen his other dramatic performances, like, this, this does look like it does stand out a little bit more. Um, but, yeah, I can, I can understand if, like, you're seeing him from, like, you know, Jack and Jill and then, you know, transitions to Uncut Gems. <laughs> probably mystery. like, yeah, or yeah, even Murder Mystery, just probably like, okay, dude, like, whatever. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, it's, just, it's, and it's not his fault. Like, like I said, he's not, this performance is not a bad performance. It's just like the, the material is so basic to just walk around screaming at people all film that I don't understand how anyone thinks it's brilliant work because we could all do that. I think that was part of the reason that it was uh, taken that way was because Howard seemed like such an everyman kind of character. And like, right. you know what I'm saying? If you are in that particular position, like granted, a lot of us will never be Jewish diamond dealers, right? But, but if you are ever in that position where you're like, you're just an everyman guy trying to go through life, you know, you're cheating on your wife, whatever. And you're, you know what I'm saying? You just have a string of bad luck, right? That's all it is. He's an everyman guy with a string of bad luck. And it just so happens to take place in the Diamond District in New York, where he's, you know, trying to sell this black diamond for more than it's worth. And he's getting fucked left and right. So, yeah, I can see where you're like, it's not that groundbreaking, but. Also, I don't think they were aiming for groundbreaking. I think they were looking to make a very everyman character that was relatable mm-hmm. in this in this like crazy world that he lives in. I guess too, like maybe I have a different go going back to the positives because I do have some positive things to say about this film. I really did like um how they were able to tie in um, a past event with the Eastern Conference Finals or whatever the playoff series was with the Celtics and like tie that into what was actually going on in the story because they could have very easily, first of all, having Kevin Garnett in this film was really cool. Like um, he didn't do anything groundbreaking. Obviously he's a professional athlete, not an actor, but he, he did a good job. Like I feel like most of the times if you were to pluck an athlete out of their sport and throw them in a movie it would be noticeable but Kevin Garnett wasn't noticeable I feel like if I showed this to someone who didn't know who Kevin Garnett was they wouldn't know he wasn't an actor and I think that's really good um it was nice to see him too because they could have very easily cast just a normal actor and said he was Kevin Garnett (laughs) and we'd all be like oh well why didn't they just get the real Kevin Garnett he's retired he's not doing anything I think it was really cool and from from what I've heard, like Kevin Garnett was all over doing this too. So good for him. And the fact that they like, you know, obviously shot the movie in 2019, 2018, whenever they shot it. And then they'd show footage from when Kevin Garnett actually played in that game. I thought that that was really cool because obviously that's like a 10 year gap or whatever it was. Um, but in the movie, they made it all feel like real time. And I, I thought that was yeah. just fantastic. I will, I will, I want to say one thing, like, I love her, I absolutely love her, but, she knows? but, yeah, she knows, but, like, 
in this movie, I don't I don't know if it was just because they didn't have enough for her to do, but Adina Menzel was just there. You know what I'm saying? Like one of those things where it was like, why why get Adina Menzel? You know what I'm saying? Like like I was just, like you know how you felt when they got J.K. Simmons for Justice League? That's that's how I feel. <laughs> That's how I feel with, with Adina Menzel here. It's just like, why, why do that? Why spend that money? Like, you know, just, you brought that up. Yeah, just like, <laughs> like, like, no, like you could have, you could have casted anybody. You could have made this role for someone who, who, who's just starting in Hollywood. Like, and, they, and they already did that in the film. Julia Fox, Julia who Fox, is right. the main actress. She right. this launched her career. This is the biggest film she's been in. She hasn't been in very many at all. I mean, why couldn't she do the same thing? Exactly. I was just like, yeah, I don't, I don't know if we needed Adina because I'm like, the entire time, I'm like, I sincerely hope there's more scenes with Adina Menzel, and we literally only got two, three, three max, right? And, you, and I was just like... And look, I think that ties, <laughs> I think that ties back into what I was saying earlier about the story isn't strong enough for its supporting characters. They need Howard on screen at all times to carry the story. Like Howard's shoulders and back have to be just absolutely hurting <laughs> from carrying this film so hard. And because he's in every scene, except for two, every scene except for two. And, you know, it, it's all in the same boat with you saying, why did you get her for two scenes? With me saying, I don't even remember Lakeith Stanfield. He's technically the supporting actor in this film. He's, <laughs> right. he's a third person listed. And I don't even remember that he was in it. So it's because when you forget about some of the story, all you remember is Howard. And that can be a very good thing if you loved his performance, but it can also be a bad thing because you don't remember a majority of what else happened. Right. And I will also say there is a certain unrealistic aspect with this story. Like if you're going to place it in New York with real um, athletes, obviously everything should be realistic. There's not a chance in hell that you'd punch the weekend in the face and nothing would happen to you. There's not a chance. Like you would get arrested, you would get a fine, something would happen to you. And the fact that he just punched the weekend in the face. I mean, he was trying to fuck his girl. They completely abandoned that <laughs> whole thing. That would never happen. I would have knocked think, him out too. Yeah. I'd be in I jail. Mean, That's yeah, fine. Yeah. I think the only reason is, is like, on this kind of flies in my everyman theory, but like, uh, I think, you know, how it was pretty well known and, and at least in that circle, so like it wasn't like it wasn't like he was like a stranger who just walked up and knocked out the the weekend. I feel like feel like they knew each other at at the very least, you know what I'm saying? Or or knew of each other. Something like that. Anything that would would justify him at least being thrown out instead of like you said arrested and and yeah. <laughs>
because uh, yeah, I think if that was anybody else, yeah, you would definitely be arrested. You can't just hit, you know, the weekend. Who, by the way, I fucking hated in this movie. I don't know if his role was scripted or if it was like, oh no, just be yourself. Like, however you are, you know what I'm saying, when you're out, you know what I'm saying, just do that. Because I was like, dude was a dick. Like, I'm like, what? like he, he was like, what, uh, I'm not fucking singing until you turn up until you turn lights the black lights. Right? I was like, fuck you, dude. Like, you guys, I ain't doing shit till I see right? black lights. Right, I was like, fuck this guy, bro. Like, I was like, I was like, I was so pissed off at him. And then it was like, he's doing coke in the bathroom with this chick, like, telling her to grab his cock and shit. I was like, yo, bro, like. <laughs> I'm like, bro, if this like this is just a recipe for disaster. Like, I just like, like I hope this was all scripted, cause otherwise, I'm like, dude's a piece of shit, and I don't want to think of him like that. So, like, the funniest part is when Adam Sandler was banging on the bathroom door, and the girl in there was like, "I'm washing my hands," and I'm like, "The fuck you are!" All right, so overall rating, where do you put it, Jeremy? Oh, we're starting with me. Um, <laughs> on a 10 skill, I'd say four. You say what? Four. Four out of 10? I mean, it, it nothing – during the entire movie, nothing really stood out to where, yeah, I'm going to watch this again. Like my top 10 list. Are all the, everything on, them, on my top 10 list is, is things that I've watched over and over and over. Will I see this movie again? Maybe, maybe not. It's not. It's nothing that left me an impression with, oh man, I'm gonna watch this, you know, next weekend or something like that. I mean, it was a good movie, and I, I further want to fact check, and I know nothing about basketball in this respect, but the championship that Kevin Garnett played in, does that coincide when the weekend was doing his performances? Because then we got a, we got a, we got an issue here as far as, oh. as far as history. You know, I didn't even think about that actually. I didn't think about that either. I don't uh, I don't and I'm not familiar with when the weekend became real popular. Let me look it up to be because, honest. Because because if he if he was if this was centered around, you know, Kevin Garnett and the championship that he played in and all that luck and the betting, would the weekend he even been played out? Because if, if that's not the case, we got a continuation fucking problem. I feel like I feel like it was him on the come up. You know what I'm saying? I feel like it was like like, he was still touring, like, New York City clubs and stuff like that. He was building his name. Well, that's why I'm just asking, because yeah. I don't know the details yeah. myself. I'm going to go with that, with what Phoenix is saying. Um, because a quick Otherwise, yeah, that would, <laughs> that would be fucked up. Yeah. But, I mean, I mean, I still stand. It's a four in my mind. Because, I mean, it, it was a good performance by Sandler, but it didn't leave an impression to me. Well, what's really funny is that um, when we started this, you said that you and I would agree someday, but I'm going to end up being higher on this film than you were. Oh, shit. Uh, Today's not the day. <laughs> you kind of walked yourself into that one. <laughs> Damn it. I don't want to go first anymore. Um, so I originally gave this three and a half stars, which is a B plus on my scale. Again, my scale, I, I uh, refer to. I don't ever want to be graded on your scale. I refer to letter grades more so than, than star ratings. But um, that was originally when I left the theater. After having some time to think about it and actually reflect on my thoughts, uh, I downgraded it to three stars, which is a B. 
So that's my final score for it. It's a good film. It didn't resonate with me like anxiety attacks or sweating, like everyone <coughs> said. I am not watching this willingly, rewatching this willingly anytime soon, just because it, I feel like it's one of those films that once you know what happens, it loses a lot of its value. And um, Kevin Garnett was really fun to see. It was great. The inclusion of real time sports, even though that, that happened like years ago. I love how they paralleled that together. Um, Sandler's performance wasn't anything special in my mind, but good movie, nothing special. Um, that's my take. Uh, I too rated it three and a half stars. Uh, I, I Damn, stuck, I'm the highest one. Yeah, I stuck. I stuck with that. Um, I I did enjoy Adam Sandler's performance. I did like Julia Fox. She was great. Um, uh, I liked, like I said, the sound mixing, the direction. All of that really worked for me. Uh, there were some unnecessary aspects to it, like that Nathan brought up that I agree with. But overall, I felt like it was a solid movie uh, that I could watch again. Uh, but it, it would be like, for me, like it would be something that I would watch with someone who hasn't seen it, just right. so I could see like their reaction to it. Um, so that's where I'm at with it. Uh, I think out of 10, for me, that's like a, that's like a seven and a half. So that that's where I where I put it seven and a half. All right, so I think I think we're gonna move on to what's good, right? <laughs> so uh, I lost somebody for a second. Yeah. So every episode. We give our recommendations as far as what we've watched recently, whether that be TV shows or movies, try to recommend some things for you guys that kind of fly under the radar. So Phoenix, what's good this week for you? Okay. I normally never go first for these, so this is out of the ordinary. Welcome back. Uh, <laughs> so uh, what's good? This week, I had a chance to watch a lot of movies, and I gotta say, I saw very few good ones. This was a rough week. Uh, so in order for me to recommend something good, I gotta go way back into uh, my repertoire here, and keeping with the theme of last, last week, I recommended, uh, I wanna recommend some good films that uh, star black cast. Uh, that I think are are worth watching, especially in this time period. I'm gonna go with a old old cult classic, Tales from the Hood. Oh, Tales shit. from the Hood is a dark, dark, dark horror movie about. It basically takes everyday circumstances <laughs> of black black life and turns them into horror stories. So there's a story on police brutality there's a story on gang violence and there's like and all of them basically become real live really dark horror movies uh there's one on uh domestic violence as well so like that's that's the whole idea it basically covers uh aspects of black life that are normally horrific as they are and then adds the horror element to it it's a cult classic one of the best black horror films I think you'll ever see. It's utterly frightening. 
<laughs> and yeah, I don't think we recommend a lot of horror movies. So there's there's our first horror movie suggestion: Tales from the Hood. Um, I've been I've been kind of taken aback. Like I've been on Hulu recently. The one thing I started watching again. Remember the show Family Matters? Yes, of course. Man, they don't make them like they used to because <laughs> that was my shit as a kid. I grew up watching that show. And, like, it's interesting to watch it now, like, as you're older because you're starting to see, like, the intent behind the show and the TV episodes. And we need more shows like that because they taught everything. Every, they taught shit every episode, and I respect the whole cast. Like, that that made Jaleel White's career. And, like, I'm sorry, Urkel to Stefan, that was the shit. The BMW Izetta, come on, the Urkel Mobile. <laughs> like, that's, that's still my shit. Um but yeah, Family Matters is good. Uh, another movie that I've watched recently that not a lot of people are going to know, and a Phoenix, I touched base with this with you at work recently, the movie Hackers. It was made in 97, 98. Um, this was one of the very first, and I could be wrong on the year, but this was one of the very early, earlier roles for Angelina Jolie. It's surrounded by a group of street hackers who are being persecuted uh, with this evil hacker, so to speak, in a big business corporation, and they pretty much fight with him, and yeah, it's, it's a good movie in my opinion. I've watched it a hundred times. Like, I never get bored with this movie because I like hacking stuff. Um, no offense, but yeah, it's I, I recommend that movie highly because it's it's one of the first roles that you see Angelina Jolie, and she's like a teenager in that movie. Nation this week, I'm going to kind of roll similar with Phoenix. Um, I did not have a ton of time this week to watch films. This was the first week of my internship, and we also recorded an episode just a few days ago, so didn't have a ton of time to watch anything good, particularly when we had to watch The Lovebirds. Um, but one film, one film that was really good that I was able to get around to um, that also has to do with, not, not to do with uh, what's going on in the world right now, but would kind of resonate with you with everything that's going on in the world right now is The Help. Um, 2011 was nominated for Best Picture, did not win, but um, it very well could have. Forrest Whitaker, uh, right? No. So one thing that no, I really... I different movie, sorry. One thing that I really loved about this film was it's there's no relevant male characters. And it was so refreshing to see such a female-led movie like obviously there's a ton of female-led movies but not a single male character actually had a sizable role in this movie and that was wonderful um the cast here is outstanding whether you're talking about octavia spencer who actually won best supporting actress i don't even think she's the best performance in this movie that's how good it is um several great performances emma stone's technically the lead but she's not even in it that much um, just a great movie talking about social commentary and the role of African-American women and how they raised white children um, back, in, back in the day. And this was just a great film overall for a lot of different reasons. So that was probably the one good thing I watched this week and I would definitely recommend it. It's on Netflix, um, so check it out.
What's good? What do? So let's run it back one more time. We got the help, hackers, and tales from the hood. I sincerely hope somebody out there who's listening watches all three of those films back to back. That would just be the most <laughs> hilarious watch I think you could ever experience, like ever. That that would be great. Uh, <laughs> all I right. apologize for the psychological damage that's going to happen. <laughs> It'll be fantastic. Please watch all three of those films and report back to us uh, in order, yes, and report back to us and let us know what you thought. Uh, we are again on Twitter at FilmCodePod. Uh, please, I beg of you, that would be the greatest, greatest thing you could possibly do. All right, so we want to get into our discussion this week. Uh, first off, Jeremy was not here last week, so... Uh, and last week we had watched both The Lovebirds and Extraction. We did a double review on those. Real quick, uh, Jeremy, uh, what did you think of those two movies? Because I want to see where you uh, sat sat with us last week. Um, well, Extraction, I was, I thought that was pretty good. Chris Hemsworth had a good role in that. Um, I liked how, like I told you before, the bad guy and Chris Hemsworth, you know, kind of joined sides and you know, common goal kind of deal. And I also liked how it was kind of like the action scenes were kind of John Wickish, so to speak. And I thought that was pretty cool. Um, overall, I would give it a six because, I mean, I would, I would watch it again. I mean, it's, it's a good movie. Um, as far as lovebirds, I can't, I just can't. And, and Phoenix, I know we've talked, um, and I'm just going to tell everybody now, I, I've tried to like Lovebirds, but, and no disrespect to the two main, to the two main actors, the, the love interests, the girlfriend, and the boyfriend, but you would never believe that those two were in a relationship. There was no cohesion among those two actors whatsoever. Like, I just could not get over it. Like, I'm watching this, the biggest interesting character that I thought was the guy who carjacked him to chase the bicycle guy in the beginning. That was the most interesting character in my mind because um, the whole movie, I, I could not get past those, those two. And, and the comedy wasn't really that great. And I'm not an expert in comedy by any means, but I, I can't. I, if anything, I'd, I'd give that sucker. And this is the lowest score. And I tried not – I was being nice to Adam Sandler. I try not to go this low, but I'm going to give this sucker a two and a half because I, I just can't. Um, and that's my opinion, guys, on that. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're you're pretty much in the. We we were pretty much all in agreement then. Wait, the is this the day? Is this the day that we? Yeah, agree? we we all thought it was bad. <laughs> well, they, you, Nathan, and Nick all thought the Lovebirds was bad. I just I enjoyed it, but you, you know, would, you would too. No, but you you, <laughs> you still, absolutely would. No, you Phoenix, you still said it was bad, but you were like, oh, it's an enjoyable bad. It's an enjoyable bad. It's it's like one of those that you point and laugh at instead of laugh with. But Jeremy and Nick and myself all said that. I'm gonna I give you guys a little secret. I still have like half an hour left of that movie to watch, and I'm not sure if I'm gonna complete it. <laughs> I just couldn't. Like three quarters of the movie in, I'm like, you know what? I gotta go to bed. Like, oh no! Tired. That's terrible. I'm uh, sorry. I wish I could say that the last thirty minutes uh, 
works. It, yeah. Oh, it's even worse than the the rest of. <laughs> See, it. I'm so happy I'm not watching the rest of that. I yeah. got better things to do like work. It's right, a but, steady decline. Yeah, but also <laughs> last week uh, we did our top ten of the decade. Uh, we. We also we got your list, so let's go through that real quick, and then I'll oh, give okay. everybody our official top ten. All right, my turn, right? Yep. All right, so, so 10, my ten to one. My top ten on number ten is red. Um, oh, okay, gotcha. Um, number ten on my list is red because. Bruce Willis really played the hell out of this role, and I really liked the role that he played. He played, like, a CIA spy who's just a badass, like. And one of my favorite actors is in that movie, John Malkovich. I love that dude as an actor. Great actor. He is hysterical in this movie. Um, nine, now that he's on a break, nine easily could have tied with Deadpool and Due Date, um, but we don't tell him that, so shh. So it's going to be due date because Zach Galifianakis is great. Um, guy from Iron Man. What is his – I keep forgetting that dude's name. Robert Downey Jr. Man? Thank you. Thank you. Seriously? Robert, I, <laughs> I smoke Ooh. a lot. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. is awesome. The, di- the dynamic between Zach Galifianakis and Robert Downey Jr. was hysterical. Like the, the part in there where he was like – why? What is your do? What is your father doing in a coffee can? Because he's dead, Peter. Like, terrible. <laughs> um, number eight, end of watch. End of watch. The way it was shot, the action scenes, the the story behind the police officers. It it was a good movie in my opinion. Keep shaking your damn head at me. Um, and it was it was a beautiful movie. I've seen it a good couple of times, but I mean, two good I, actors are in there. You can say what you want. I hated that movie. Like, I the, liked it. It was shot and it was cut weird and it was because it was I, shot I, I like in a body cam kind of way. Yeah, I didn't even finish it. I'm sorry. I was All right, like, you don't finish I, it. Oh, I, I hated that. Movie. This is my list again. My list. Yep, you're right. Go ahead. All right. Go, thank you, sir. I appreciate you. Um, <laughs> number seven, Baby Driver. Yes. Great fucking movie. Yes. The fact how this whole movie was synced into the soundtrack is just amazing. And I mean, the driving scenes, I, they, I'm not even going to lie to you. It, it, it's just, this movie blew my mind. And in fact, that he don't talk much, the love interest in there, like, Baby Driver was the shit. Like, I'd watch that movie over and over just because of the soundtrack. It was just amazing. Um... Dallas Buyers Club is number six on my mind because Matthew McConaughey played the fuck out of it. And he also, he lost a shit ton of weight to prepare for this role. Like, my man looked twig. And, I mean, it was a a great story and had a lot of good points. It told a lot of – it was a true story from what I recall, and it told a lot of sides of it of, you know, people who are fighting this disease who – can't afford their shit so you know they're finding other means whether it be holistic or whatever i mean you gotta do what works for you and i liked how they told that story in this movie um so yeah number five the martian oh i liked it phoenix you can say what you want but the martian was a good movie the fact that you're stuck on an abandoned on a on a barren planet by yourself 
and you've got to find a way to survive each day and shit goes wrong with my man. Like Matt Damon played the fuck out of it. The fate, my favorite scene is when he's doing his vlog shit to NASA and he's like, I ran out of ketchup. So I'm using this crushed up Percocet. <laughs> and I'm like, that's my dude. Cause you're on Mars and who gives a shit, but it's a good movie. I mean, the, the things he goes through number four, John Wick, come on. John Wick was the shit. Now this fought, my number four fought in a lot of positions. And it took me a minute to figure out, but I had to put it in number four because you'll understand why. But John Wick is such a good movie. Uh, Keanu Reeves is such a great actor. Um, all three John Wicks are just amazing. Number three is Wolf of Wall Street. I've seen this movie a million times. It has never gotten tired for me. Margot Robbie is simply amazing in that movie. Leonardo DiCaprio is amazing. And I mean, I haven't read the book yet. It's on my list to read, but I do want to read the book. And I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio played the shit out of this movie. And I mean, oh. Is there, is there ever any role Leo doesn't like just kill? Like, no, does like, not exist. I can't doesn't exist. Him. I yeah. mean, he died in Titanic. I feel like we should resurrect him. <laughs> He's good uh, in everything. Number two is Fury. Fury is by far one of my favorites because Brad Pitt, I mean, I love the name that he has in there, War Daddy. You're damn right. I mean, it's based on World War II. I mean, they take up a whole SS battalion by themselves with one tank. And I mean, it is an incredible story because it also trails a guy who is a freaking typist who gets assigned to a tank to fight battle. And my man works up and you know at first he's like I'm not shooting anybody and you know before you know it my man is just becoming the machine in that and I mean great 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 story number one because you know how I feel about this number one is my shit I'm gonna close the book on this guys you see this right here number one is by my great favorite person Quentin Tarantino and number one movie Django Unchained because how can you not put that on number one? Jamie Foxx, the cast alone, Jonah Hill, Jamie Foxx, um, Leo DiCaprio. I'm forgetting the freaking. Christoph uh, Waltz. Thank you, Christoph Waltz. My man. Great. I love Samuel Christoph Waltz. Samuel, I mean, all-star cast, all-star movie. And I mean, Samuel Jackson was hilarious in that movie. You're going to let him sleep in here? <laughs> like, oh, I, I could watch that movie all day long. I mean, it's just such a good-ass movie. Um, and Django Unchained is by far absolutely number one. Yeah, and we'll talk, list. We'll, we'll talk about that more when we uh, talk about Tarantino here in a few minutes. But good list for sure. Thanks for sharing. Great list. Great list. Uh, definitely love, love Django, Wolf of Wall Street, Baby Driver. Some of my favorite movies, like of all time. Uh, so, here is our official top ten list. And this well, is mashed got... together, right? Yeah, yeah four of it. Right. So, uh, I said last week we only have one movie where the majority of us agreed, and that movie is our number one. That is Inception. Inception tops our list. Fantastic movie. Uh, number two was a movie that me and Nathan had together. Uh, we both put it fairly high on our list. That is Get Out. 
get out. Number two, best of the decade. That was my number one, baby. Let's go. <laughs> number three, Nathan and Nick had this one ridiculously high. I don't agree with it, but whatever. Avengers Infinity War, number three, best of the decade for film. Over code. what? Yeah, I know. I know. Fine. What? <laughs> number you guys, four. You guys are crazy. <laughs> number four. Uh, Nathan and Nick also had this one together. I agreed because I love this movie, but I would not have put it in the top ten. But I love this movie <coughs> with a passion. Number four, A Star Is Born, Bradley Cooper. I feel like there's a mutant going on here. <laughs> I'm number dominating five. this list. Let's go. Yeah, so far, <laughs> number five. Number five. I had this fairly high. I think Nathan or Nick had it on their list. I think they both had it, or I think Nathan had it low. I don't know. Number five, Whiplash. J.K. Simmons, Miles Teller. Fantastic. Ridiculous that it's this low, honestly, guys. Number six. <laughs> La La Land. <laughs> yes, sir. Are you yes, freaking sir. kidding me? Nick's not here to back me up, but <laughs> we're going to Are war you... soon on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, they did that. Anyway. Can I, can I write a complaint somewhere? <laughs> we're going to war some, someday soon. We're going to war on that, boys. Oh, that's ridiculous. Number seven should have been number three, in my opinion. One of the best movies of the entire decade. Jesse Eisenberg, Andrew Garfield, Justin Timberlake, The Social Network, fantastic movie, absolutely one of the best of the year. And now, number eight, thanks so much to Jeremy, Django Unchained. Why the hell is that number eight? It's number eight, like, I don't know. You put it one, I think, I think somebody had it in like Does Tarantino know about this? Get him on the phone. Know. We ain't gonna tell him either. I'm <laughs> telling you. Oh, you wait. I got you, Quentin. It's not even Come his man. best. It's not even his best of the decade. Also, number nine. Thanks so much again to Jeremy. Baby Driver. Yes. Number nine. Made it onto the top ten list. Super happy about that. And number ten. I don't know. I don't know what Nathan and Nick were thinking. It, it, they don't didn't. even do it. It's all their fault. Don't Number even do 10, it. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. You've got to be kidding me. Let's go. <laughs> for me, that, that, I need your address, sir. That was an honorable mention for me, but uh, yeah. glad to see it made it onto the list. Yeah. Um, so that's our combined top 10. Obviously, yep. that's just all of our picks mashed together. Um, mm -hmm. For our individual picks, Jeremy just gave his, so – you can rewind and let's do it again if you I'm like. Cry. For Nick, Phoenix, myself, we gave our top 10 over on episode three. So if you haven't yet, go ahead and check that out. Let us know on Twitter who you agree with. Obviously, these are our opinions. We gave 40 different movies, pretty much. You're not going to agree with all of them. You're not going to agree with any one of our lists altogether. Um, but just let us know where you agree. Give us your top 10 of the decade. Give us your top five, you know, whatever it may be, just interact with us. This was something we thought was fun. And by God, please don't get mad because, you know, <laughs> movies impact us all differently. Uh, it's fun to, to joke around with these guys and everything like that. But at the end of the day, 
um, it's nothing to get angry about. So that's Mr. our Tarantino. I'm very sorry. That's our best of the decade. <laughs> and um, that's a good segue that Jeremy just brought up because our discussion today is we're talking all about the Tarantino movies. Oh, great. Now we're going to butter his biscuit. No, 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 no. Yeah, so, mean, there's, no there's no way not to. Sorry. <laughs> he was eight. That's not so, right. Quentin Tarantino is my favorite director. Um, there's few directors that I've seen all of their filmography, but he's one of them. He's my favorite. Um, some of his movies are just absolutely incredible in my mind. Some of my favorites. Um, so I think what we're going to do is we're going to go, we're just going to start with one movie. We're going to give our thoughts about it, talk about it, and just move on to the next. So we're going to do all 10 um, in Tarantino's mind. There are only nine because of <laughs> Kill Bill. The Kill Bill and Kill Bill 2 is one movie in his mind. But we're going to talk about them in two separate instances. We're going to go through all 10. And then um, maybe, I'm not sure, we'll give our top 10 real quick in order. Uh, that's t TBD. But um, I think we should just start in chronological order, if that's all right with you guys. Okay. So we're going to start talking about Reservoir Dogs. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on Tarantino's first direction, Reservoir Dogs? I love it. Yeah. I, I, like, there are very few movies like Reservoir Dogs. Actually, I don't know if there are any movies like Reservoir Dogs. No. Um, like, just, I, I mean, okay. I don't know how many stage plays any of you guys have ever been to or seen live, um, but literally that's what Reservoir Dogs is to me. It's like a really well done uh, stage play as a movie because, like, if you take that that room where uh, I can't remember his name, but uh, uh, Tim, Ross Tim Ross character, yeah, where he's dying and Harvey Keitel is like over him. That is like that is like the one stage that keeps coming back throughout the entire movie and it's just so oh so brilliantly done how they flash back into it revealing that he was the cop the entire time and how he convinced them to like let him in the group and all of that such good stuff such good stuff and like the only thing because i remember when i the first time i saw this i'd only seen like the last 20 minutes of it so i was like it's like why does harvey Keitel trust this guy so much i was like I don't get it. Like, why Why is he willing to betray his boss for this guy he just met? And then, so I went back and I rewatched it and I was like, oh, okay. Like, they really connected. They really bonded. The sheer fact that he, he really made people believe that he was down for this cause. He really sold that. So, <clears throat> so like, to me, I was just like, like, acting-wise, top-notch top-notch and I was like I, I was sold on Tarantino I was sold like actually this was probably like the fourth or fifth Tarantino movie I'd seen so I was already sold before then but I was uber sold after watching Reservoir Dogs one of one of the one of his best absolutely for for me I always love the like look directors like to reuse actors that they've worked with before because they're familiar with them they don't have to teach them certain things that they, you know, they're already familiar with them. Um, there's plenty of instances of that, plenty. But no one reuses actors like Tarantino does. It's great. Um, it really is. And I mean, 
this was one of the first. It wasn't the first Tarantino I watched, but it was one of the first. And then going through all of his filmography, it's just so awesome to see like all these guys that he reuses. You know, uh, Michael Madsen is in a few of his films. Tim Roth's in a few. Harvey Keitel's in a few. Steve Buscemi's in a few. Like, it's just cool to see all these guys that he loves to reuse and pop up throughout his films all in one again. And it's just great to see them all so young, especially Tim Roth. You know, he looks like a teenager. And I'm a huge Tim Roth fan. Um, it was great to see. This was the the role that really made me love him as an actor because, you know, all his character does is like lie there on the ground and he somehow pulls that off and makes it, I don't want to say iconic, but, you know, makes it really recognizable and, and noticeable. And um, this is really where conversations just resonate with you because if you don't like conversation long conversations then the ending's not going to work for you the the when there finally becomes action it's not going to work you have to be bought in and it seems like that way for all of tarantino's films you have to be bought in to the talking to buy all of it and i think it's brilliant and with this being his first direction obviously tarantino is known for um telling story out of time telling unchronologically and he does it here for the first time. And it works. It definitely works when you find out that Tim Roth's the cop. Um, you know, I think that's a lot more impactful than telling it chronologically and finding out at the beginning that he's the cop. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Jeremy, what'd you think of Reservoir Dogs? Well, we all know my love for Tarantino. And I mean, he, for this being his first direction, I mean, he grabs your attention from the word jump. I mean, right into the car scene when the guy was shot um, again. And then further, for him to take one one set, one building, one warehouse, and just make an entire movie pretty much out of that one building is pretty amazing. And for it to do that well as it did. And, I mean, the camera angles, the way it was shot, the side conversation between, you know, Harvey Keitel – uh, Michael Madsen was by far my favorite character in that movie because <laughs> I mean, I'm come on. The torture scene was awesome, and I mean, oh. Michael Madsen played the shit like he he was in that character from the word jump. And I mean, for the entire movie, I mean, yeah, for people who don't like Tarantino, they might see it and say, well, they don't go anywhere. It's all in a building and it's bored. That's not yeah. the point. The point That's is, those, those yeah. people are crazy. Yeah, Sorry. the point, the point <laughs> is, is like Tarantino was like, all right, let's see if I can do this. Let's see what's up. And he probably had his vision all along and he pulled it off. And the way he shoots it, he shoots things very uniquely with different cameras. He experiments a lot. I mean, he, he does a very, very good job. And Reservoir Dogs was certainly a fantastic start to his direction. Yeah. I, mean, I, I just want to point out how many things are iconic in that movie like first off michael madsen dancing to, oh my god so uh, I, I forget the name of the song but like yeah dance to that song Steely, uh, that, Steely Dan right uh, yes yeah, uh, Steel Water something I, I can't remember who but uh 
it's caught in the caught in the middle with you. I think that's yeah. the name of the song. Um, so yeah, like him dancing to that, Mr. Pink explaining why he doesn't tip. Come on, throw in a buck. Uh uh-uh, uh, I don't tip. You don't tip? No, I don't believe in it. You don't believe in tipping. Do you know what these chicks make? They make shit. Don't give me that. She don't make enough money, she can quit. <laughs> I don't even know a fucking Jew would have the ball to say that. Let me just get this straight. You don't have a tip, huh? I don't tip because society says I have to. All right, I mean, I'll tip if somebody really deserves a tip. If they really put forth the effort, I'll give them something extra. But, I mean, it's tipping automatically. It's for the birds. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, they're just doing their job. Hey, this girl was nice. She was okay. She wasn't anything special. What's special? Take you in the back and suck your dick. (laughs) (laughs) I'd go over 12% for that. Hey, look. I ordered coffee, right? Now, we've been here a long fucking time. She's only filled my cup three times. I mean, when I order coffee, I want to fill six times. Six times? Well, you know, what if she's too fucking busy? Or it's too fucking busy shouldn't be in a waitress's vocabulary. Excuse me, Mr. Pink, but the last fucking thing you need is another cup of coffee. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I mean, these ladies aren't starving to death. They make minimum wage. And I used to work minimum wage, and when I did, I wasn't lucky enough to have a job that society deemed tip-worthy. You don't care if they count on your tips to live? You know what this is? It's the world's smallest violin playing just for the waitress. It's like a super yes. iconic scene. Uh, yeah, you know, it's just like all, the bathroom scene where dude, like, you know what I'm saying, has to explain what he did while four officers are talking to him. Like, all of, the, all of these things, like, are so unbelievably iconic. And the, and the, and the fact that this is an original script like, this isn't something like, you know, this isn't an IP. This isn't something anybody else thought of. It's just like the mind of Tarantino to think, like, I'm going to do a scene where I have a guy who's torturing a police officer. He's going to dance to some 70s music. Like, what the fuck? Like, and then cut really- his ear off and speak into it. Like, that was such a great scene. <laughs> that was and, so great. And that's exactly why this film is great is because they take Tarantino takes such a simple story such a simple story. It's a bunch of mobsters out on a job and there's a cop and they're trying to figure out who it is. And that's such a simple story and it shouldn't be as good as it is, but it's great. Um, So I think we're going to move on now to Pulp Fiction. Um, In my (laughs) mind, one of the greatest films of all time. Um, This was actually the last Tarantino film I saw of the bunch, which I watched it. Yeah, I watched it in kind of a whack order. Um, but I was blown away. Like I obviously knew how revered this was. Um, but I wasn't ready for what I watched. It was just through the roof. Fantastic. Um, I wasn't expecting to like John Travolta as much as I did in this role. Um, even just there, you want to talk about iconic. This movie is iconic. There's so many lines. There's so many shots. There's so many characters that are just absolutely brilliant iconic i don't understand well okay i I do understand why people don't like this film because of how it's told unchronologically i will never side with those people those people are crazy in my mind this is this is one of my favorite films ever and i think it's one of the best films ever what's so great about what's many many things are so great about it but one of the things that i'd like to talk about is how tarantino takes such simple scenes and makes them absolutely outstanding. I mean, you talk about the dance scene in the diner between 
uh, Vincent and me. that dance scene it's just people dancing it's just people dancing and that has become a scene that puts a smile on my face every time i see it every time i think about it because it just it's so happy and it's brilliant and i don't know i i love that scene i think i know why that scene stands out is because these these two are like they're part of like a criminal underworld you know what i'm saying like they 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 do dirt and here's this simple, you know, scene where they just get to dance. You know what I'm saying? And it's just like, like, oh, you know, they're they're. I guess it humanizes them, and especially because it comes at a point, like just after something crazy happens, and then just before something else crazy is about to happen. So it's like this little slice of like peace in the it's, middle of like insane movie. It's just it's beautiful and. It's not even like, I don't want to say intended to be, but when you think of beautiful scenes, you certainly don't think of a dance scene like that. And it's, it's brilliant. Jules in this film is just remarkably funny. He's hilarious. Um, whether, whether he's flipping the table over, asking if he speaks English, or, um, you know, what am I? Yeah, one of my favorite scenes, too, is, is right after Vincent accidentally shoots Marvin in the face. <laughs> oh my god and yes jules is like well why the fuck do you do that like I don't, dead, man. jules is so funny um i i would have loved to see more of jules in this movie to be honest with you i i when i walked away from the film the first time i was like jules wasn't in this nearly as much as i thought he would be that's okay um and you know you want to talk about iconic characters you got to talk about vincent and jules absolutely yeah. iconic characters and yeah. it was great to see that jeremy i want to hear from you what you, what was your favorite or aspect all, of fiction all fiction has always been one of my favorites because again second movie for tarantino and it speaks further for tarantino because he takes this spider web of different events following different characters lives and different situations and then as you go towards the end of the fucking story, everything goes in line. And all of a sudden you have the characters clashing, like when John Travolta and Bruce Willis's characters clash, Bruce Willis and Marcellus Wallace clash. I mean, you have all these things that are finally meeting an endpoint, And it's just insane to see the chaos in the beginning and, the, and the, what unfolds at the end. Um, Jules character, but I can I can recite that whole apartment scene by heart because that is just one of my favorite scenes. The apartment <laughs> scene, the diner scene, like oh. even at Jimmy's house, like bro, yes. like, like 
embedded in my memory. Like <laughs> it is, there's so there's so many good parts in that movie. There's so many iconic parts in that movie that have only grown. People have made points in that movie that have grown to other things. And I mean, it speaks so highly of Tarantino, who you know, you can tell this is a guy who just throws all of his wisdom and all of his magic into everything he does and it just comes out fantastic i have not seen one tarantino movie that i have not liked because it is it's a beautiful movie when you watch a tarantino film it's it's awesome how he how to see to see his mind work and to put it in the film it's it's actually incredible um, um i'm yeah. not i'm not really crazy about the bruce willis uh portions I don't, I think that's significantly behind all the other stuff, not just for what physically happens that I'm not going to physically say, not just for that part, but I just think it's, it's not as good as the rest of it. Even him talking to his absolutely putz wife who, or gr- girlfriend, excuse me, who's just such a dunce. I want blueberry pancakes. She is just such a dunce. But I put your watch on the kangaroo. No, you didn't. I don't, I don't, I think those scenes are significantly worse. Now, I did rewatch it a couple weeks after I first saw it. That's how much I loved it. And it, it, it is starting to grow on me. It doesn't hold the film back because the film's so great, so iconic that I can't let something like that hold it back. But definitely when it comes to that part, I'm like, okay, now I can go to the bathroom or something like that. But maybe that's going to grow on me over time, but at this current time, I, I would have loved to spend more time with Jules instead of having that. I mean, I will say, like, it it's the, weirdly enough, I think it's, like, the largest chunk of the entire movie. Yeah, really. And, like, and like but also in that, it connects all of the other scenes, so I get it. Like, it, it may be, like, like, oh, man, like, this is dragging, but at the same time, it, it it melds everything together. So like, like I think of that, when I think of Bruce Willis's part in this movie, I don't even actually even think of, of, you know, the scene with the Gipper and all of that stuff. I actually think of when he like gets in the cab and he t- tells the cabbie his story and like the scene, you know what I'm saying, when he, uh, when he rescues him and their little conversation afterwards. Like those are the things I think of and him killing, him killing Vincent, like that, that to me is like, oh yeah, like, because I remember I saw this movie originally, I saw it in parts, and like, that was one of the first few parts I had seen. I was like, why does he kill that guy? Because he seems like he just only kills him because he's there. But then I, I went back and watched it from oh, the beginning. That's a hit. And, like, and I'm like, I'm like, dude, like, you mean to tell me this dude has an entirely other story, and he just shows up in this guy's story, and that's how that, like, we could spend all day on Pulp Fiction, bro. Like, like yeah, we could. We, we gotta go to the next one, man. <laughs> absolutely iconic. But um, I'll give you our listeners a, a little tease. Um, one of my favorite films of all time, but I don't think it's the best Tarantino film. Um, so let's move on. We're going. We're going chronologically. Let's talk about yeah. Jackie. Jackie Brown. My favorite. Wow. So uh, Phoenix, one of my why, favorites. Why don't you take it away? Jackie Brown is actually actually the last Tarantino movie that I saw. You're welcome. I was, yeah, thank you. Uh, Like, I was uh, super happy to have finally seen this movie. 
and I was scared. I was scared that like because I'd seen all of it, all of Tarantino stuff up until that point, and I was like, I was scared that it would be among the movies that I think are okay. You know what I'm saying? Even I love all of Tarantino's movies, but I I, I thought it would be among those that was like, eh, it's not as good as this, or you know, not as good as that. I'm happy to report Jackie Brown is top, bro. It's like top three, top four best Tarantino movies ever. Like, and and for one, the main reason is it's out of all of Tarantino's movies, he normally goes out of order. He tells stories off and in, in all of this and he like crisscrosses and all of that stuff. This is the first Tarantino movie that's straightforward. It's like yeah. beginning to end. This is where it's where this story starts. And this is how it ends. Like it's such, it, like I think it was a challenge for him to actually be like, oh no, I can write a story from start to finish. It's just like you know, what I'm saying I like I like going out of crazy order, but no, I like just to prove it. Here's Jackie Brown. You know what I'm saying? But the sheer fact, like this cast, like ensembles is Tarantino's thing. Like that's what he does. He does ensemble pieces. And like this cast, Pam Greer, Robert Forrester, Samuel Jackson, Chris Tucker, Michael Robert De Niro, Robert De Niro, Bridget Fonda, like come on, bro. Like this is a sick, sick ass cast. And like to me, god damn it, man, every scene with Pam Greer and Robert Forrester could have been the entire goddamn movie. They are fantastic together. They they Oh, they killed it. I love every scene. But damn, yeah. I love Pam Grier so goddamn much. And she was fantastic. And Jackie Brown. And that red oh, she brought the shit out that red dress. I'm just saying. Pam <laughs> Grier, if you're listening, Phoenix Cloudin, he's a good Woo! guy. Woo! <laughs> oh, my God. You, you can I be was, all right, bro? I was in love with her. I was like, dude, I could totally see why everybody was on her John in, like, the 70s. I didn't know that ass. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, other, than, other than that the movie is fantastic i actually really love it i i really enjoyed seeing robert de niro in a non-scorsese movie personally <laughs> <laughs> where he's not just a big mobster um but i don't know i i was i still think this is a good film i do um but when we're talking in the grand scheme of tarantino films this is right in the middle for me um I felt kind of slighted because looking at the cast before watching this, I was really excited with how many big names are in it. And one of those is Michael Keaton. And I was disappointed that Michael Keaton did not have really any role in this film. Like I know he's a cop and trying to investigate Pam Greer and everything, but like he doesn't really do anything. Um, So I don't know. And I think the story itself is way too complicated. I know that, that Jeremy and Phoenix, you guys are big defenders of this story, and that's totally fine. Um, but I think it's so complicated. There are times where I feel like I'm gonna have to watch this like three or four times to fully get everything, like with the switching of the bags and why certain characters would do certain things. I think Tarantino learned from this. I, I really do. Like, he, I don't think he was trying to replicate the um, popularity of Pulp Fiction or the iconicness of Pulp Fiction. But I think he was like, okay, well, if I was able to tell that story out of order like I did, what if I 
cranked it up another notch and I told this complicated story where I lose the audience and bring them back. Like, I don't know. I, I thought it was really complicated, especially in some parts where they were trying to, to trick the cops. Um, acting's fantastic. Loved seeing Robert Forrester, uh, like, like Phoenix mentioned, but I think Tarantino learned from this one for sure. Well, to play on what you said, um, one of the common things that, I mean, I personally know with Tarantino films that probably speaks on how he films is the more you watch one of his films, the more you pick up on than you did before. It kind of builds on. So, I mean, yeah, Jackie Brown, all of his, all of his films kind of do that. Me personally with Jackie Brown, I all-star cast. I love the storyline. Um, Robert Forrester is a good actor that I hold dear because he's just a great actor. Pam Greer, amazing, amazing, amazing job. Um, the dynamic between Robert Forrester and Pam Greer were, was amazing. Like when my man picked up the Delphonics tape and was just jamming out to the Delphonics, man, like that was his shit from day one. Um, Samuel L. Jackson was awesome in there. Uh, Robert De Niro, one of my favorite scenes in that movie is when Robert De Niro finally got sick and tired of that blonde shit and was like, you know what? I'm done. Like, this is it. Like, that was just – and you could see it in Robert De Niro's face just building up. Like, he was like, please shut up. Just stop talking. Just please shut up. Like, I'm not doing this. And, I mean, the storyline was cool. I mean, it, it was kind of like what Phoenix was saying, you know, shot straight through. You know, there wasn't like a Pulp Fiction kind of deal where different scenes tied into everything else. It was pretty much shot straight forward. And I, mean, I feel it worked. I mean, it – it's definitely one of one of my top fives, absolutely, with Tarantino because it just the storyline, how it was shot, um, the attention to detail in that movie, the little the little Ocean's Twelve switch scene and shit was pretty badass. You know how they tricked the cops and all that. Um, yeah, definitely amazing movie in my opinion. So, yeah, uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, I I just think. Uh, What was I going to say? No, uh, <laughs> um, to me, I think I think when you see a Tarantino film matters. Like, I don't know why, but maybe me seeing this last is part of the reason why I have such a, an affinity and affection for it. Because, like, at this point, no matter what, what Tarantino film you see last, you have an idea of who he is as an artist as a director, as a writer. So like by the time you see whatever whatever film it is that you see last, you have an idea and you're like, damn, this guy's good. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I feel like if I saw this back when it like originally came out, it was like, like 96, 97, something like that, I yeah. probably would have had less affinity for it, probably because I was younger and I wouldn't have understood it as much. But like, like having seen it last, I'm like, this movie is badass. It's just, it's like a grown up '70s cop flick, and it's just like, but like it's like too grown. It's like, all right, I done had enough of this shit. Like, <laughs> like let's go on. And that last shot of Pam Greer in the car singing along to the.
play. He could have played that all four minutes of that song. That shit was fantastic. Perfect shot. One of my favorite shots in, in all of cinema. I think, it was I think you should write her a letter. Yeah, I think I, I, think I love her. Uh, <laughs> I support so, so, moving along, um, chronologically, I'm definitely going to step on some toes here, but this is the beauty of film. We all have different opinions. Um, that's going to be Kill Bill. This is my least favorite Tarantino film. Um, that's for me, crazy. for me, <laughs> right. I need a story. You have to have a reality aspect. Okay. Let me say this real quick. Like oh, you, you can take a movie like star Wars <laughs> or guardians of the galaxy. That stuff's not real. It's very obvious that stuff's not real, but you have shown us that that's not a real dimension. That's not real reality. Like I get it. That's not real. Like what about talk about films like Harry Potter? That's not real. Like I get it. So I believe now when you do certain things that it's not realistic. Like I get it. In that universe, it's realistic. This universe for Kill Bill is on earth with humans. <laughs> so you have to do things that fit the realistic aspect. One person taking on like 88 or whatever <laughs> other sword fighters, not realistic. It's not. And for me, that pulled me out of the movie. For me, I have to watch action movies that I believe in why they're fighting. Extraction wasn't there for me. It didn't do that for me. But other films do. Like, I have to believe why you're fighting. And for Kill Bill, like, I, I, I just, it just feels like let's just crank all the action we possibly can all the way to the max. Well, what if that's not realistic? Well, who, who cares? Like, I, I just, it's not for me. I need some type of grounded story. And I just, you, you can throw all the action in the world at me and I'm not going to like it if, if there's no reasoning behind it. And I know that a lot of people disagree with that, but that's just my take. Okay. Like, I'll, I'll tell you the ultimate reason why I disagree with you. Uh, that's what I expect in all action movies. I expect complete uh, unrealistic everything. Like, I don't, like, I, yeah, it's an action movie, bro. Like, I don't, even if you place it, you could place it in modern day, or, you know what I'm saying, Donald Trump is the president, and someone shoots him in the head. I'm going to be like, hey, this is an action movie. Cool. I don't care. Like, I do not that's, need real. I don't, that's I don't need That's something that could happen, though. That's something oh, that oh. could happen. Okay. Well, you I'll, taking I'll, on. I'll, like, all right. So, like, take a movie like Wanted, right? Like, nothing about that movie is realistic, right? No, no it's crazy. Curving bullets, shut up. That's, you mean to tell me crazy. you can't shoot the wings off a fly? Exactly. But, like, but it's an action movie. So, I'm, like, like already, I'm, like, I've already lessened my need for you know, believability. Like, I've suspended uh, my disbelief. And so like, uh, and that, I, that just comes with any action movie. I want to clear this up, too. Like, I love film. I, I'm perfectly fine with films that aren't realistic. I'm wearing a Star Wars t-shirt right now as we're filming this. But, <laughs> but in a universe where you deem what is realistic and what's not, I'm sorry, like, you taking on 88 or 80 whatever fighters all attacking you at the same time and you're one singular person you're gonna die like there's no way 
I don't I mean, care who you are. That's she's not a realistic. Master assassin, and, bro. Yeah, yeah. From like her two months of training. Yeah, okay. She's a master. She's a quick learner. I just she's this wasn't. The, she's from the Death Squad or whatever they call themselves. They the the. I wasn't into this. Um, <laughs> this just was not for me. I need something grounded, not something like let's just throw everything we possibly can at the screen. I'm sorry, Nick. Nathan is crazy. Uh, Kill Bill was actually the very first Tarantino film I ever saw, and I saw this with my girlfriend. My girlfriend at the time in theaters. Uh, we were like, you know how people say, "Oh, I was on the edge of my seat." No, we had left our sights. We were sitting on the stairs watching this. Like, <laughs> this is fucking crazy. Oh my god, this is awesome. Like, we love. Like, I like. I just love. Like, I, I think I said this before. I love gratuitous violence. Gratuitous violence doesn't need to make sense to me. It just needs to be violent. And this was great. And then there's, you just randomly throw in anime, but the anime works too. I was just like, dude, yes. Like, this is the movie that made me fall in love with Quentin Tarantino. It's just hyper violent, great action, great dialogue, a, a unique story. I freaking love, I freaking loved it. I'm sorry. And, and I like, I think if you watch any like old school uh, karate, uh, I call them karate, uh, chop, not chop house, uh, kung fu, kung fu films, uh, yeah, or like samurai films or stuff like that, you see a lot of the connections between this and that, and I feel like it was very much an homage to that sort of a uh, idea, and that that's why I dug it. I I don't know, like you throw in anime, you throw in sword fighting. You throw in Uma Thurman, we're going to have a great time. <laughs> My quick opinion of it is, you know, I feel like, you know, <clears throat> and I mean, not many viewers out there know this, um, but this was Kill Bill 1 and 2 were supposed to be shot as one. Mm -hmm. um, it was one story. And when he presented that to, you know, the people producing it, they were like, no way. Nobody's going to stay in their seats for six fucking hours. Um <laughs> But I think Quentin Tarantino personally, and I'm just speaking on my opinion, kind of just was reaching outside the box and, you know, created this character and was like, this is going to be the most badass character and, you know, has a story behind it. And given what he did, it was a good film, in my opinion. I mean, I, I would love to watch Kill Bill 1 and 2 just as a continuation to see what the whole storyline would be ultimately, but one day. But yeah. Um, so moving along to Kill Bill 2 – it's more or less the same for me. Um, also, I just thought it was really slow. Like, all of Tarantino's films are slow. We get that. But we talked about, like, it working. The payoff works. The, talk, the things they're talking about, the dialogue is very strong. Or they're slowly building to the eventual explosion of what's going to happen. And to me, that explosion of what happened wasn't worth it. And the dialogue is probably one of the weakest of all Tarantino's films. Also, the, another unrealistic Phoenix aspect. Is a stroke. Another unrealistic aspect is her digging herself out of that grave like that. That is impossible. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just those are just my quick thoughts on it. I, I don't have too much to say about Kill Bill 2 because it's more or less the same. Uh, I agree on the pacing. I do think it was, it was definitely slower than the first one. But I feel like, like 
like Jeremy said, like if we had seen these together, it probably would have made per like brilliant, like perfect sense. Uh, but I, uh, I, I, I disagree. I feel like there was. I feel like Kill Bill Two, if if your complaint is is what it is for the first one, I feel like Kill Bill Two is a is a better film for you. If it like, is, it's a little bit higher than Kill Bill, but still nothing. Yeah, yeah, because it's just like you know, the dialogue is building. There's there's more tension, and the fight scenes make sense. You know what I'm saying? Like they're they're there for a reason. So uh, I, I I like that movie. Not as much as the first one, but I do like it. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I like Kill Bill Biden too. I just, I, I thought, I, I too want to see these two together as a, as a single feature one day, four hours straight. Jeremy? Um, yeah, I mean, I agree with Phoenix because, you know, Kill Bill 1, you know, this is Tarantino's vision as one film. So Kill Bill 1 does a lot yeah. of premising. And then like what Phoenix said, you know, moving on to Kill Bill 2, everything kind of made sense and everything started to piece together and fit together more fluidly. Um, yeah, I mean, of course, Kill Bill 2 is going to be better than 1 because number 1 is still building to 2 and building on that story, in my opinion. But, I mean, all in all, I feel like the two are good together, of course. But, yeah, let's move on. All right, so next up is Death Proof. I know we talked a little bit about this in one of our shows. Um, this is the least viewed Tarantino movie, so not yes, much sir. of an audience for this one, to be honest with you, but I know you two are huge fans of this. So let me give my thoughts real quick. Um, I'll let you guys get into it. It's, I love Kurt Russell in this movie. Um, he's just, he's fantastic. Um, I love the female empowerment, too, like how they get back oh, yeah. at him at the end, how they just kick the shit out of him. And the stunts are outstanding. Best stunt, stunt work in any Tarantino film. Um, and the car chase scenes are ridiculously great. Um, other than that, like I was... Because it breaks it into two, two different stories, right? And mm -hmm. the first story where they're at the bar, it's, it's slow. But I, me knowing Tarantino, I was still bought in. And then like the second half really like it was so slow up until that car scene for me like i get why this is the most poorly rated tarantino film i get it um but i know you guys love it i'll let you talk about it i still gave it a positive score and everything but it, um in the grand scheme of tarantino films i do think it's one of the weaker ones so go ahead let, guys. let me let me go first for once in my life this was a movie that fell in the cracks for me, and I was not enlightened until Mr. Phoenix pointed this out. I'm sorry, Tarantino, this was the only film that I have not seen, and I didn't even know about until Phoenix said something. But after watching it, by far, it should be a lot higher and a lot more viewed and a lot more rated than what it is. Because as Phoenix has pointed out to me, one of the best and longest and most kick-ass car scenes I have ever seen in any movie and to go along with Nathan, Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell is a very good actor. I'm shocked we don't see him in a lot of stuff. I mean, Tarantino has casted him numerous times. But, I mean, Kurt Russell's a very great actor. And he played the shit out of this. And, I mean, with Rosario Dawson's role in this was amazing. Um, I mean, just such a good movie. And how it was shot, 
I'll forever be singing praises on how it was shot because it was shot freaking beautifully. I mean, just the transition work and everything. And, oh, I'm sorry, Tarantino, but this was definitely in my top five because it's an amazing movie. I'm sorry. This was in my top five for the longest time. It only left my top five in 2019. We'll get to that. Um, yes, Death Proof. This movie is so good. I, like, if you haven't seen it, watch it. If you have seen it, I need you to re-rate it because you're crazy if you have this low. This movie is insanely good. Now, I saw this in theaters. This was shortly after I'd seen Kill Bill and Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs. Uh, I was like, okay, Tarantino's my guy. I'm going to see this. And this is when they did Grindhouse. So it was him and Robert Rodriguez. They both did movies together. They had these really hysterical trailers, fake trailers for each movie. Some of the best shit you'll ever see. I swear to God, I wish they made these movies. Uh, but then you get to the actual movie, and it's just such a gearhead kind of movie. They're talking about cars, engines, and they got these smoking hot chicks who love cars. It's like, it, this is every guy's wet dream. And they're badass. Right? They kick ass. They look amazing. They know cars. It's just, I'm like, look, give it to me. Injected in my veins. Kurt Russell's amazing. Uh, Rosario Dawson, Tracy Toms, Zoe Bell, who, who like came out of nowhere, was just excellent in this movie. I love the dialogue in this. Like both both girl scenes, I love their dialogues. Top top tier Tarantino, as far as I'm concerned. You don't like it, you're crazy. You're, you yeah, you're, you can go Russell. get help. <laughs> Alrighty, let's move on to Inglorious Bastards. My um, favorite. Seems like I'm stepping on some toes, definitely, in this middle act. I want to make it evident again. Tarantino is my favorite director. He's got some of my favorite films ever. We're just in a bad stretch here, uh, chronologically. <laughs> Inglorious Bastards, man. I, I could not get into this. I couldn't. Um, all of the, all of the like switching languages took me out of the film. I don't want to read all. I don't want to read the entire film if it's an an American English film. Like I wasn't anticipating him to read that much. There's that half hour scene. There's that half hour scene where they're just playing like heads up, like the, whatever that time period version of heads up is where they put the card on their head. They're trying to guess yeah. like with Tarantino, it's all about the, you know, the dialogue is going to be there. You know, it's going to be slow, but you have to be willing to buy into what ends up with that dialogue and for me, I wasn't bought in with all that talking in the bottom of the bar. It was so long. I don't know who, I don't remember. Let me look real quick. But the guy that plays Z, Helmet Zemo in Captain America Civil War, whatever his guy's character was in this, was such a throwaway in my mind. Maybe when I rewatch it, it'll change. I just did not like that guy. Whatever that guy's name is, um, I can't find it here. Michael Fassbender, what was he doing in this film? His role was so weird. Um, I love Christoph Waltz, one of my favorite actors. His performance was great. Wasn't enough to save this, though. And Brad Pitt was not really in this film all that much, to be honest with you. He wasn't in it that much. Like, there's, there's an hour in the middle of the film where he's just not in it. So, I don't know. Like, I, could, I just could not get into this. Um, 
I'm going to rewatch it at some point. I'm usually very kind to rewatches, so maybe that opinion will change. But I just could not get into this at all for numerous reasons. Phoenix, it looks like you agree with me. Yes, me and Nathan agree, finally. Uh, this movie blew, blew. I mean, it just stinked. Like, I, I hated this movie. I tell people all the time, I don't understand, because when I came out of it, everyone was like, oh my God, that was so amazing. I was like, are you, what, did we watch the same movie? I'm like, bruh, like, look, it feels like every person who is in this got a chance to redeem themselves in other movies. So Christoph Waltz, he, he you know what I'm saying, shot the bed in this one, but he got to redeem himself in Django. Uh, Brad Pitt, you know, shot the bed in this one, but he got to redeem himself in Once Upon a Time. And it's just, I'm sorry, like, this movie was drab, it was slow, it was boring. And then normally, even, if, like, me, and I'm a huge guy, I'm a huge fan of dialogue. I love, I love dialogue. I love back and forth dialogue and all of that, you know, saying building to a certain point. But every, like, and, I, and I'd seen pretty much every Tarantino film up until this point when I went and saw Inglorious Bastards. The dialogue, I was like, okay, cool. Like, I know I, I've, I've got my Tarantino vibe. Like, I know what he's doing. I know what he's building towards, yada, yada. And it never got there. It never built toward anything exciting. None of the dialogue was strong. None of it, none of it stood out. There's nothing in this film, no, nothing dialogue-wise, that's as strong as Pulp Fiction or Kill Bill or Death Proof. Nothing, nothing like that. So Inglorious Bastards is by far the worst Tarantino film that, I, that I've seen that I can say, Inglorious Bastards, you can keep it. Not a fan of it. Mr. Tarantino, just so you know, I've been flicking Phoenix off this entire time. <laughs> Let me just say this, okay? With defending Tarantino, this was his rendition of a World War II movie where he took the people who were being persecuted by the German army, the Jews, and kind of flipped the script on their asses. And I give respect for Tarantino for what he did. I feel like this was a good movie, in my opinion, and I'm going to say why. Because Brad Pitt, I agree with Nathan, there was a whole part where he wasn't present. Brad Pitt's performance in this was stellar, in my mind. When because, he was on screen, yeah. Yeah, he, he led he led it, and he did a damn fine job. Christoph Waltz, not a lot of people know that that was Christoph Waltz. Christoph Waltz played – he was by far my number one in this movie. He played the shit out of that, and he was amazing. He did a fantastic job. His dialogue with uh, Emmanuel – and even Emmanuel's dialogue, that was a great actress. I can't recall her name, but she played the shit out that too. I mean, I agree. Okay, if it's not your favorite, fine. But as far as what it was, Mike Myers' little cameo in there was amazing. The first two times I watched this, I didn't know that was Mike Myers. But it was just, it was just funny to see him in there. And it could be not, not your favorite, fine, whatever. That is what it is. But the storyline and how everything went down and the dialogue, especially with Christoph Waltz, especially in the diner when Emmanuel was forced, you know, by that one dude who was the hero. And then all of a sudden uh, Christoph Waltz showed up to interview her for security reasons. That was a great fucking scene because she was scared shitless. 
and I'm sorry, I, that is by far one of my favorites because I, I love World War II shit. That's me personally. I know World War II. I'm a big history buff. I can talk about World War II all day long, but that's my favorite, one of my favorites. When, whenever I get around to rewatching it, maybe my opinion will change, but I just, I could not get into it this first time. All right, we, we already touched on it. Um, we are now transitioning at least into my, my uh, we are exiting the bad part of the Tarantinos for me and getting into the golden era. Um, Django, I mean, Jeremy, your favorite film of the decade. Yes. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, love everything about this film. This was my first experience with Tarantino. Oh, so wow. really, really? really enjoyed it. In my opinion, um, this is the movie for best performances. Um, this is, in my opinion, Leonardo DiCaprio's best performance ever. Jamie Foxx's best performance ever. Um, I think this is Christoph Waltz's best performance ever. Mm-hmm. Samuel L. Jackson's second best performance ever. <laughs> I think this film, just the performances are just all over the place. Insane. The story is through the roof excellent. Um, you know, it's this could be a very bad movie if like done in the wrong hands because obviously I agree. obviously all the social commentary going on um trying to you know make it not not you know this could offend a lot of people and it probably does offend a lot of people just how it is now but if done in the wrong way and in the wrong hands this could be one of the most hated films ever but it's not i mean instead it's fun it's you know it's about slavery it's about racism and that is such a ridiculously it's such a ridiculously tough thing to tackle but um he does it perfectly and you know i know there's even documented proof of leo being uncomfortable saying the n-word so many times on screen and jamie fox and samuel L. jackson like sat him down and really displayed their leadership and told him even the end card yes said like go ahead and do it like it's 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 fine and i love everything about this film it's been a while since i've seen it but i'm i've been itching to watch it again ever since um i do think i i trust me i know (laughs) i i do think that i wish it ends like further I don't know. I wish it ends like a half hour earlier than when it does. I think there's a better ending at one point than the ending we actually get. Like, don't get me wrong. Like him blowing up Samuel L. Jackson and blowing up the house. Like that's sweet, but I don't really like like him getting captured again. And like Tarantino's role. Like I, I, I wish that part wasn't there because it had ended earlier, but regardless, still at one of my favorite films <laughs> ever. I, right. I loved everything about this for the most part. Uh, yeah, I want to say, like, <sighs> Django is by far, like, I, I agree with you. When it comes to performances, everyone freaking kills it. I mean, it's it's so good. Everyone brought but their I, game. I think what's impressive to me about it is, like you said, in anyone else's hands, this could have been a tragically awful film. But I think what I liked about it was Tarantino really did his research like he didn't come into this like yeah i just want to do i just want to do a slave movie you know? just make him make him a badass it don't i don't care about anything else like no he like he went in depth like i mean the attention to detail in this movie 
you can tell he took it seriously. The like sweat in, in box that, scene. Right. Like you got the sweat box scene, dude. In the first scene, you see the slaves chained to each other. Like that's a legit that's a legit thing. The Mandango fight scene, fucking horrible. Like, bro, like that that shit was that that all this shit is real. Like, so I just think the care and consideration that he took to not just, you know, tell his story, but also to like really make sure that he got everything right in that aspect. I think that that was that was truly smart smart filmmaking and I think part of the reason why I like this and I like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood so much better than I like Inglorious Bastards is like I didn't know that that's what Tarantino was doing. When I watched Inglorious Bastards I didn't know he was doing like a retelling of 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 like Nazi Germany and that that whole history. I didn't get that that's what he was doing. So when I saw it, I was like, uh, I don't think that's all that impressive. But then I saw Django, and I'm like, the sheer fact that he put that much attention to detail in it, and he changed, like, actual history, gave it more of a, like, you know, a, a positive uh, truism, uh, definitely, you know, certainly a wishful truism to it. Uh, dude, it's fantastic. Go ahead, Jeremy. To play on what Phoenix is saying, this was a subject that I'm sure, as Tarantino was writing it, was he knew it was going to be a very, very touchy subject, especially the person who was writing it. Um, and I, I give Tarantino so much applause because not only did he tell this story so well, he told it so very objectively. Mm. Like, he was very object. He showed so many sides of this. You know, he showed the Leo side where, yeah, we're a slave owners and all this. And then he showed the Jamie Foxx side and then the Christoph Waltz. Like, he was extremely objective, and he shot this brilliantly. And granted, yeah, it's a very touchy subject, especially in, in our times. And, I mean, Phoenix, I'm, I'm the least racist person. You're like my brother, bro. Um, but he, he took great care in how he shot this and, and took such meticulousness in everything. He, he, for people who don't like this movie, you're crazy because he did such a fantastic job, told such a beautiful story. And I even like the ending. Like I know Nathan said, you know, Hey, I wish it ended a half hour before. And I, I mean, sure. That's your opinion, but it kind of gives off a, Hey, we're going to ride off in the sunset together kind of deal with him and his wife. You know, that's who he was in this in the beginning for. Um, but I, 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 by far, my number one. Beautiful, beautiful movie. All righty. Um, hot take alert. I know this is a hot take. Um, Hateful Eight is, in my opinion, the best Tarantino film. Um, I was absolutely blown away by everything in this movie. It's three hours long. You know, my dad's a huge Tarantino fan as well, but he's like, just didn't love this one. It's extremely slow. I loved it from the first shot. It's, this is, I'm going to go out and say, this is the most beautiful film I've ever seen as far as like the shots. They shot it in real snow. The snow is gorgeous. And the costume design I'm obsessed with. The costumes look so good on 
everyone, especially on Samuel L. Jackson. It just everything works. And look, this is the most slow Tarantino film. I feel like you have to have to have to be bought in yes. to the journey, the journey, the marathon, and it works. Um, not knowing what's going to happen, not knowing the mystery, you know, they're building up everything like, well, why does the door not close if you're <laughs> living in just that absolutely snow infested area? How does the door not work? Right. That's a mystery. Why is there a red jelly bean just sitting on the ground? Like there's, it slowly, slowly, slowly builds. And for me, it was just such an experience. I wish I could be, like erase my mind and watch it again for the first time, just to experience it again. This, in my opinion, is Samuel L. Jackson's best performance. Um, I love the mystery. I love trying to piece it together. I love the reveal of it. I love everything about Hateful Eight. It is one of my favorite films of all time. Um, and I, I think it's better than Pulp Fiction. And I know that's a hot take, but um, that's what makes us unique. Let me go. Let me go next, because this is probably i'm probably gonna surprise the shit out of everybody here this is probably my least favorite film and i'm gonna say why because i have watched this movie three times and no offense to quentin tarantino but i'm still failing to capture the storyline like i know i need to really watch it and pay attention and all that but i'm still struggling with it is a very and i'm glad nathan pointed it out it's a slow movie and i'm still i'm still working on it so that's the only reason I'm getting at my lowest rating so far is because I need to further understand myself what it is Tarantino is trying to show us. So that's the only reason. Other than that, it's a great movie, and that's all I'm going to say about it. Okay. I disagree on Nathan about the, uh, you know, about it being the, the best. It's It's a hot take. It's okay. Right, right. But – this is one of Tarantino's best freaking movies. Like, no doubt about it. Uh, and what I think I like about it is it's a bit of a mix. It's like, it's like Pulp Fiction, uh, Kill Bill, uh, Django, all pretty much thrown in together. And, like, and that's why I like, I love the three-hour runtime. I think it's fantastic. I love how it builds and builds and builds all the way through. I love the final reveal. It's just, it's such a good, good freaking movie. And, like, the story behind everyone, like, like what Tarantino succeeds really, like, I said this before, his ensemble cast work. It just works. He finds a way to make sure everyone fits into his stories. And it, it just, I, I love this movie. And it I, was, I absolutely love it. It was movie. so great to see Tim Roth and Michael Madsen come all the way back from right, Reservoir right, Dogs. From Reservoir Dogs. That's another um, one that's mixed in with. It was it was excellent. I love everything about this movie. So pretty. Three hours. It absolutely works for me. I would watch this again anytime. My favorite. Best in my opinion. And that's okay. Um, we're moving on to our last one. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And look, I, I love this as well. This is fantastic. I do think it's very slow. Um, that's what holds it back a bit in my mind is that middle act is just so ridiculously slow. Um, the payoff is kind of worth it. I mean, that ending scene where he, Brad Pitt is just taken out 
the Manson the children. I think that's the single best scene of 2019, to be honest with you. <laughs> but it is a long, long road to get there. It's a very yeah. long road to get there. And um, look, I mean, just a mixed bag. It's a, it's a very good film. Does a lot of things really well does a lot of things really slow and that's Tarantino for you. It's still in my top five, still a very good score, four out of five stars, but um, slow for sure. I've watched that. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I've watched that film three times and really quickly. Um, The more I've watched it, the more I've picked up. And it's really interesting take on his side of like how the Manson family is and was, and it was very realistic, so to speak. Um, It was crazy to see that side. But, um, yeah, Brad Pitt's and Leo's play in that was amazing. Um, I fucking love the flamethrower scene. <laughs> like, oh, that was great. Um, but, yeah, the more – like I said, with Tarantino, the more you watch it, the more you pick up, especially with every one of his films. Yeah, uh, this one is the one that knocked uh, Death Proof out of my top five. Uh, I freaking love – I love this movie. And I think – the reason I love it is because I've seen so many of Tarantino's films. Like, I just, I feel like if you, if you're not a Tarantino fan, you might hate this movie. You might, you might not, you might not understand its pacing. You might not totally get what he's doing, what he's building towards. The last 20 minutes might be, you know, enjoyable for you, but like, you won't understand why it pays off as much as it does. But I loved every second of this movie. Yes, it's long. Yes, you could have cut like 20 more minutes, but I'm, I don't care. I don't care. I love this freaking movie. It is so good. Leo and, and, and Brad Pitt, I almost called him Cliff Booth because I felt he did such a good job as that character. I almost thought that was his name. Like, <laughs> like I, oh, oh my God. Shit. I love, like, this was my pick for best picture. I really, I wanted this over 1917, over Parasite, over... Marriage Story, I freaking loved Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I would have, I would have loved it if it had won Best Picture or Best Director, anything for, anything for Quentin. I would have been super happy for. I, I love uh, it. I, I love this book. Let's real quick whip it around. Who wants to go first? Let's just do top five. Uh, just list them off, uh, five to one. Who wants to go first? Let me go. Let me go. Okay. Um, I'm gonna go five to Jack- one. Jackie Brown, Reservoir Dogs, and Glorious Bastards, Death Proof, Django. Phoenix? All right. Five to one. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Jackie Brown, Reservoir Dogs, Kill Bill, Pulp Fiction. Okay. All right. My top five is uh, Reservoir Dogs, Once Upon a Time, Django, Pulp Fiction, and then Hateful Eight. Okay. And um, nice. all right, I'm sure Tarantino will talk more about him in the future because we got some big Tarantino fans not? here. Um, but that's our wrap up, and we're gonna move on now to film code, huh? You are now entering film code. Start. All right. Preview for us. My film code this week, I thought I was between a couple movies. So ultimately, I picked this one because it's a good movie. Everyone should at least watch it just once in an all-star cast. My film code word was rank, R-A-N-K. 
it's a comedy. My date range was 95 to 2000, and it has a Ghostbuster in it. So, what do y'all think it is? So, I'll go first. Um, I was kind of confused. Um, not, not, not confused. <coughs> I was kind of lost with this one. It was, it was really hard to find some, find some clues for me. So, I'm completely taking a shot in the dark here on this one. I don't really know where rank fits into this, but um, whatever. I'm going to go with Groundhog Day, uh, 1993, Bill Murray. I know you're a Bill Murray fan, at least, from earlier. Yeah. Um, Based on your reaction, that's not it, and that's okay. Uh, That's just a shot in the dark. Groundhog Day was was my pick. Good movie. Good movie. That's not it, but it was definitely a good – I respect the try. It was good. That was a good good choice. All right. Well, thanks. (laughs) Uh, what did you think of Groundhog Day real quick? It was good. Um, I think it definitely like showed its age. But um, <laughs> I, had a good, I had a good time with it for sure. Nice. All right. Uh, yeah, so <coughs> I had uh, – like you told me this one at work. So the cold word was rank. Uh, what was the year again? It was 80 – 95 to 2000. Oh, mine wasn't even in the right year. Yeah, yeah yours was 93, I believe. Yeah. So I like I I like that that and the Ghostbuster clue was the things that I focused on the most, and uh, so when you said a Ghostbuster, I was like, well, okay, I'm looking I'm looking Bill Murray, I'm looking, you know, Rick Moranis, and then I was just like, well, what if he doesn't mean one of the past Ghostbusters, but maybe someone in the upcoming Ghostbusters? So I went with Paul Rudd. And I was like, and he said a comedy. So I was like, okay, what comedy has Paul Rudd been in since he's going to be in Ghostbusters Afterlife? And so I went with Wet Hot American Summer. Uh, couldn't be more wrong. Yeah, yeah. I, I went with Wet Hot American <laughs> Summer. And uh, I got to say, wrong or right, I never want to watch that movie ever again. <laughs> <laughs> ever again. Holy shit. Damn, that movie sucked. I was oh so gosh. mad I watched it. I, like, suffered through it. I was, like, I, I constantly kept checking how much longer, how much longer, how much longer. Oh, my God. When they hit the end credits, I was, like, thank you, fucking God. Yes, it's over. Like, I'm, like, yeah, bro. Yeah. All right. So, I'm curious what Nick would say, but none of you got it right. And I'm not surprised because I don't expect Four either one of you. In a row, dude. No, I, I don't expect any of you to have watched this, but it is still a good movie in my opinion. It has not won any awards. It was made in 96. It stars Phil Hartman, Dan Aykroyd, and Steve Martin. Mm. Um, it is a comedy called Sergeant Bilko. Oh, wow. If you've never seen it, <laughs> I suggest you at least watch it once. Because it is a funny movie. It's an interesting take on a military kind of way. Um, it is funny. Like I said, like great scenes, great comedy. Phil Hartman, Dan Aykroyd, Steve Martin all do a fantastic job. I mean, if it may not be your cup of tea, but just watch it at least once because it just has a lot of raw comedy. And that was my film code of the week, Sergeant Bilko. Wow. Four weeks in a row, we still have not – Nathan came very close last week. He literally had one of the two movies and he chose the wrong one. <laughs> so, that's, so that's devastating. Uh, 
right. So I guess we're back to me again then. It's my code word this week. All right. What's up? Sweet. I'm going to try to make this as easy as possible because we got to get one of these right. Is Pam right. Greer in it? All right. So here's the code word. Okay. This should make it really easy. Your code word is 2019. There we go. <laughs> code word is 2019. Yeah. So that's literally last year. <laughs> okay. like that hard. Is that the release date or what? Yes. Yep, good that's, question. That's the release date. <laughs> okay, no. So my clues are. Oh, right. Okay. Never mind. Yeah. So, yeah. So my <laughs> clues are. Yeah. The code word is 2019. So that should help. The clues are New York. Okay. New York. And your other clue, I'll give you another clue. Comedy. There we go. Comedy 2019, New York. You're so what do you got? Um, all right. Well, this was a packed episode for sure. Um, Absolutely. So you can find me, Nathan Pig, over on Letterboxd at Nathan Pig. It's N-A-T-H-A-N-P-I-G-G. Make sure to give us a follow on Twitter at Film Code Pod. Make sure to interact with us. You guys can ask us questions. It's a great way to get us get yourself shouted out on the show. It's always fun to hear your own name on our show. And We'll always follow back and interact with you. So that's at Film Code Pod. And Absolutely. thank you guys for listening. Yep. Uh, tell the people where they can find you. Uh, Phoenix Cloudin. You can find me on Letterboxd at PA Cloudin. You can also find me on Twitter under IMHO Reviews number one. And I'm Jeremy. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can find me on Twitter, Jeremy Zink. Same thing for Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for watching and listening, and we look forward to hearing from you. See you guys next time. Peace. You are now listening to the